So I want you to um, <clears throat> picture yourself or your kids running down the stairs or out of their room down the hallway uh, to the tree uh, on Tuesday, and they pick up the package. They, of course, carefully take every little piece of tape off and unwrap it very nicely, folding it, keeping it, because that stuff's expensive. So you, you reuse the paper, the tape, the bow. Uh, you get mad at them if they're ripping things up. So they carefully open it. Um, and out of the package that they have carefully taken everything out of, they um, inside, strangely, is a picture of their loved one sitting right in the same room with them. That's me. And there's, there's blue on the ears um, because a little one jumped in and started drawing on it when my son was drawing on it. So that's not really representative of what my ears really look like. That's just creative, abstract, extra details. But I want you to imagine that you open a present and in the present is the face of someone sitting in the room with you. You look up and you're like, what the heck? And the person sitting in the same room with you says, that means you get me for Christmas. Like you're all so disappointed. I can hear it. I feel it. I can feel the disappointment in this room. Those of you who are last minute gift people, you're welcome. Um, if you'd like to use this idea, feel free to use it. Uh, I don't know how many points it'll get you, but um, how would you respond if you opened the package and someone told you your gift is me? The overwhelming silence makes me go, oh man. <laughs> Uh, yay! <laughs> right? Um, but it's interesting because as we spend this season staring at a manger, telling a story that some of us are way, 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 way too comfortable with, I don't know if we remember that's the point. I don't know if we actually grasp that the package that was delivered that day in the manger wasn't about the gifts of God. It was actually God himself. Like, and I think sometimes we get more excited about the gifts God might want to give us than we actually get about him. And when we stare at that manger, we come face to face with the question of, do I really want God's stuff or do I want him? The question becomes, is it his presence or is it his presence? I think there's a difference. And I hate that this was where I was headed this week. And a, a, a Christian comedian actually this week decided to make fun of this concept. And I get taking myself lightly. I do. I like to joke about myself. I like to joke about even being a Christian sometimes because there are some really strange things that we believe but I hate that this is something we would actually joke about. Because if the point of the Christian walk is the presence of God, why would we take it lightly? 
Why would we laugh about being a people who actually walk with the one who made us? Why, why would we joke about this idea? Now, I, I, like I said, I, I, I think it's funny, but I think this is the hardest thing for us to believe about the whole story. Is that God would actually want to walk with his people. Nearness, his presence is what we walk with. There are a lot of strange things that Christians are accused of, and I wish we were accused of this one way more often. Like, you actually walk around like you know him. Strangely enough, we do. So that's why I, I get a little sad sometimes at the things we poke fun at, because I know how hard this is to believe, because I sit with people who cannot believe that God would actually want to be with them. But as we look at the manger, it is evidence of nearness. It is evidence found all throughout the scripture that it is his nearness presented to us that glorious day. And it's all through scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter four, when, when the is, people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land, Moses reminds them and he says this. He says, for what Great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said, But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while you can find him, call on him now. While he is near. I think this is the hardest thing for us to walk with in a daily, normal way. Is that the God of creation would want to be near his people. Now, the two most used words in the Hebrew for presence are the words before and face. To stand before someone is to actually come into their presence. And to face someone is to be close enough to see the details of their face. And in fact, when someone would leave the presence of the Lord, it would be they were no longer before him or they were no longer face to face with him. Both of these words communicate nearness. I'm close. I'm in his presence, and if we learn anything from the very, very difficult first story in Scripture is that God desires closeness with his creation. He speaks everything into existence, except he gets down in the dirt to form humans. And then he gets close enough to breathe his breath into their nostrils. You talk about close, that's too close for some of you in this room. But the nearness of God is announced in creation. Even after Adam and Eve take the bite of the fruit. Listen to how God's relationship is described to them before they have this, this moment of leaving. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Nearness has always been the plan. God went with 
Abraham. God went with Moses. God went with Israel. God went with Israel in a tent. God went with Israel. It has always been the plan. Later, after King David wasn't allowed to build the temple because of all the bloodshed he was responsible for, his son Solomon was able to build the temple and he built with this in mind, Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. When you went to the temple, the goal was we're walking into his presence. We're going to be with the Lord. Nearness, God's presence has always been the promise. The very first chapter of Matthew's gospel continues in this story. Joseph, as he was considering how to proceed when he heard that his soon-to-be wife was with child, look, these people may not have understood God's ways, but they understood how babies were made. And so when Joseph had a problem, it was a very real problem in that, how am I supposed to take this woman to be my bride? And as he's considering all of these things, the very famous words in Matthew chapter 1, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the, original, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through this prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is, what's that word? What's the word? Like, that's an amazing word. Like, this word matters. Because if we don't get with, we will never understand the gospel. If we don't get with, we will be a four people. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But why would God move to this neighborhood? Why would he move in? Is it just to be like cool and the cool guy who hangs out? Is it just to be like a cool, cool example and come show people what it's about? Like, why would he move to the neighborhood? And I'm afraid that the answer is much more confounding than the fact that he actually did move to the neighborhood. I know it's hard to believe that God would move to this address, I think we have an even harder time believing why he had to move to this address. There is a very real why God chose to change the game, put on flesh, step into time. And it's much more difficult than just to be a good example. The struggle of humanity is not that we have longed for the nearness of God. In fact, our struggle really is that we want to be God. Looking at a simple manger, I don't think we enjoy that. Because when we look at the manger, A, it reminds us that we're not God. It's why we need to take time to celebrate those things. But it also reminds us that he had to take the step toward us because we would never take the step towards him. All we've ever wanted was to be God. Like, all we've ever wanted to do is to be the one who knows how to get what we need, who knows how to do what we do, who knows how to call the shots, who knows how to make the decisions for ourselves, who knows our own future. Because we started it, we saw it, we, we've all wanted to be God. And this is a problem. 
And it's so great a problem that God knew that none of us, not a single one of us, would long for the nearness of God unless he showed us what he's like. And he steps in and he shocks the world because the mystery of the incarnation of Christ is that God didn't send someone in his place. God himself came near. God with us is what we were made for. It's not necessarily what we long for though because we've wanted to be him since our birth. We have wanted to be the one to call the shots from the day we were born. Trust me on this one. If you've ever tried to tell a two-year-old that you are in charge, what do they say to you? I charge. That's what they say. They don't look at you like you are running anything because they know they are running everything. So you could see how messy it would be when the, the real God of all creation steps into time and walks amongst, a, 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 walks amongst a bunch of wannabes. Right? Like, God going, no, no, I really am in charge. And we're like, no, I charge. I charge. You can see just how messy it would actually be. But it didn't keep him away. He still came near. In a small town, in the corner of the world, unseen and unvalued by most, God changed the game. He came close. God moves into our neighborhood and he walks with his creation. Jesus is the way to life with God. And in our amazement, nearness to God is not granted to us because there are a few who have worked really hard up their spiritual ladder to get to God. In fact, there are those who would declare, I've lived a spotless religious life. And to your surprise, to my surprise, that is not possible. The nearness of God is not a reward. You want to know why it's not a reward? Because we're so broken that we would boast about it. We are so broken that you and I would actually come up with ways to feel better about ourselves than someone else because we worked our way to nearness with God. We would make people feel smaller, we would make them feel lesser, and you're seeing it happen a lot, aren't you? Because that's what pride does. But in humility, we look to this God who came near and respond with thanksgiving. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, you lived in this world without God and with hope. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This far away was living our lives as if we alone are God. And I'm ultimately convinced that we don't like looking at the manger story because that manger reveals we have a deep need that we alone cannot meet. 
And that angers the prideful heart. That infuriates the heart that says, I can do what I need. I can get what I want. I have it all within myself to make these things possible. And the truth is, we don't. And it frustrates us. So may it frustrate you to continue to look at the manger. May it continue to cause you to wrestle with you are not God. And that the God you need did everything, everything that is needed for life and faith. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul describes the work that was accomplished because he moved into our neighborhood. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It's a wonderful message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We, we like to throw around this giant theological word and use our big fancy words like omnipresent. And I think we say that word and we're like, yes, it is, it's God is everywhere. He's He's in all places, in all times, in all, pla- in all space. He take, he's, there's nowhere that he's not. And you know what? The sad part about this is, is we like to think Santa Claus is the same way. Like, right? Like that's, when you think omnipresent, you think, well, he, he sees when I'm good. He sees when I'm bad. So be good. Be good. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, be good because he's everywhere. So we've equated God and Santa Claus. Do you see the problem? And why it's so hard for people to believe that God actually longs to be with them? His desire is that you and I would find our complete satisfaction in his presence with us. What if God's omnipresence isn't just about him being everywhere? That's way out there. What if his omnipresence is simply that he is available to everyone wherever they are? What if omnipresence isn't just about a God who knows good and bad and that you're doing bad and you're not doing good? What if it is about him going, no, the, re- the reason I'm everywhere in all places and all time and there is no place that I cannot be is because we are all over the map. What if omnipresence really is he's available to everyone everywhere? That's what the scripture says. He does things and puts things in motion so that we might cry out to him and find him. What if that was how we lived as his people? Presence or his presence Do you get more excited about God's hand than you do his face? Do you get more excited about what God might want to give you than what he's already given you? 
These are questions we will continually wrestle with when we stare at this manger. This is why we intentionally take time to celebrate the incarnation of Christ, God putting on flesh and coming close. We remember that our hearts were made more for than God's stuff. We were made for him. And the promise has always been nearness from God walking in the garden with them in Genesis to God coming close and living in a box to be with his people from God taking the step out of all of heaven as God, uh, the heaven of a, the, the angels armies and he's the king of all things stepping into time, putting on flesh, coming and dwelling among his people and then not staying dead, but raising from the dead and then the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in his people. It does not get any closer than that. The nearness of God has always been the plan. Listen to how eternity will wrap up. Revelation 21 says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, God God's home is now among his people. He will live, what's that word? With them. And they will be his people. God himself will be, what's that word? With them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write it down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It's always been about with. It has always been about God with us. And I think sometimes we, we change it and we, we're consumed with doing things for God. And, and, and I understand that our efforts do change. Like we, the reason we live and breathe and what we do changes because of what God's done in us. But if you're living with the mindset of God, I'm, you're the boss, I'm gonna do this for you and then I'm gonna come and check back in with you but I'm gonna keep working and I'm just gonna work real hard for you, God. Do you know he doesn't need it? Like he's not like the gods of the day. He's not petty, he's not needy, he's not clingy, he's not any of the things of the gods of the day. He is all powerful. Everything he needs, he has. He does not need anything from us but yet he says want to be with you. When you look at that manger, I hope it frustrates you. I hope it calls you back to what you were made for, to know that God's the one that's not joking. I'm so serious about being with you. I'll step out of heaven, step in to my creation, only to be rejected by them so that some would believe that I came close. Every moment is with. Hebrews 13, five says, don't, I love this, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. No moment in our lives is too insignificant not to be lived with God. Every moment matters with God. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too small. 
God does not look at your little, normal details in your life and go, well, you don't need me for that. No, he actually knows that if he goes somewhere else, you're sunk. I'm with you. Nate, you can come on back up and we will continue in singing of this strange story. I have a neighbor who one time told me that he did not want me to pray for him. Um, And that was a weird story and how that all ended up happening anyways, but it ended this way. Jason, don't pray for me because I believe that I can live this life any way I want to. I actually said I agree with you. The Bible actually tells you that you can do that. The Bible actually suggests you can live life any way you want to. But what the incarnation would suggest is that God doesn't want you to live without him. You are faced with that decision every morning you get up with or without. And I just happen to believe that we were made to live in his presence all the time. I don't visit his presence on Sunday morning, and I hope you don't either. I hope you came in his presence. I hope you came knowing that the God of creation by faith through Christ's life, death, and resurrection dwells in his people, and you come in his presence. And it's good to be together in his presence. Because the point has always been with In Matthew chapter 19, there's a strange story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you know the law and this stuff and do those things. And the rich young ruler looks foolishly at Jesus and says, I already do that, man. (laughs) Now, if he had really known who he was in the presence of, he would have been like, that sounds impossible. But unfortunately, he did not respond that way. And Jesus said, well, you're lacking this one thing. Like, you're doing all those things. Why don't you sell everything you have and come follow me? Come be with me. And the scripture says the rich young ruler went away sad. And this freaks the disciples out. They're freaked out by this. They're like, the heck, man? That dude can't be saved. And who the heck can be saved? Like, what are we supposed to do? And I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it that Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 26, he says these words. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, what's that word? With God, anything is possible. See, we like to quote this verse when we have like a big test for the day. This is much bigger than a test, folks. This is life and salvation and everything that God has organized and planned and he set it ready for you and it's impossible on your own, but with God, salvation is possible. I hope, I hope that you're frustrated by the manger. And I am, I'm a person who likes to look for repetition in the scriptures because I think there's, there's things we're supposed to learn when things repeat. But if you look at the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter one, we already quoted it, God with us, Emmanuel, that's his name. The very last words penned in Matthew's gospel say this, Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, verse 20. 
I am with, right? I am with you until the end of the age. It book show, it, 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 it bookends with and with. And why do you think so? Because we forget. Somehow in all of our hustle and bustle, we just start thinking, well, I'll just do things for him and forget the relationship. I'll just do stuff for him. I want to be good and I want to I be, be kind. I want, I want Santa to give me what I need and want. But what if the point is with? I hope the manger frustrates you this Christmas. Because if you're doing things for, you're missing with. Do things with God. No moment is wasted. No moment is wasted. We'll be taking a turn to communion this morning. And what I mean by, by that is we're going to be looking at God's gift to us. And we already read the verse, but I want to read it again because I think sometimes we forget just how significant these corners of the room really are. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling, bringing back the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Do you feel that? Do you, you feel that appeal coming out of your life? Just come back to him. You were made for him. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This meal is a pointer that God not only kept good on his promise to send a rescuer, but he actually came through. And he laid his life down for his people. But he didn't stay dead. He rose and he will return. Every time we take this bread and we dip it in this juice, the scripture says we declare his death until he returns. So in the same, same meal, we are declaring his death and resurrection because a living person returns. This is our declaration that he is enough. And this morning, if you're visiting, if you're new, we don't, or this isn't like our, our church checks an ID at, this, at these corners of the room. But this is for those who have placed, it, placed their trust in Christ that he has finished the work. I'm not earning anything. You're not earning anything. We don't get better standing with God. We take this meal together because A, we need to remember that he finished it. But B, we need to look around the room and see these other people declaring the same thing because I don't know if you know Monday through Saturday out there is really hard. This is an announcement that the body of Christ has placed their trust in the one who died for us, but did not stay dead. He rose and he will return. So when your heart is prepared as these songs play, you may go to the corners of the room, take your children with you, teach them what you're doing, show them, instruct them, because this meal matters to us. It matters to the body, it matters to you, and we go together to this table. Father, we love you. And I ask that in these next few moments, that again, the manger would frustrate us. 
It would frustrate our plans to be the center of the universe. It would frustrate our plans to earn something before you. It would frustrate and uh, interrupt our ability to make a long list of things to do for you and that it would remind us that we do life with you. Would you bring us back to that simple truth that this manger loudly declares? It's in your name we pray all of these things. Amen.